I didn't even know you had a football team. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Actually, our son and his family live in Jacksonville. And uh, so that's why we're glad Gordon Conwell planted a, a seminary here so we could visit uh, the grandkids. And it's true, we do have 12 grandkids. And uh, they're struggling as to who, to who to root for because one family lives in Philadelphia, one outside New York City, and then Jacksonville and Tennessee. So we are very flexible. We're missionaries, and so we cheer where we are in order to get along. Uh, I, I do thank you for this opportunity, uh, Matt. I think sometimes it's hard to give up the pulpit uh, when you have things you want to say to the congregation and move them along. But I consider it a great honor to be here. Uh, I've heard about your church from Chris, and uh, I'm pleased to be one of the, what's this, the fourth time uh, in this sanctuary, which uh, has its own growing pains. I wanted to go to the toilet, and I couldn't do that. I wanted to read the words of the songs, but I couldn't do that. But we can all worship the Lord, and I'm thankful for that. It is great to be here. I'd like to begin uh, with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the one who is love. You are mercy. You are grace. You are kindness. You are gentleness. We need all those things, Lord. We are broken. We are hurt. We are alienated. We are lonely. Send your Holy Spirit, Lord. Minister to us as only you can. Make us to be the people we need to be so that the glory of God would shine in the face of Jesus through us. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like you for a moment, if it helps you to close your eyes, I'm not going to leave, uh, to imagine a vision. Uh, quite often, uh, when we read a passage like this, we kind of look at the words and so forth. This is from Revelation 7, 9 to 17. And I'm going to recite it, and I want you to imagine what this is like. Don't just think of the words, but actually picture what it was that John saw, because it blew him away. He stuttered at the beginning. You'll see he repeats himself, okay? So it was overwhelming to you. And so I want you to pray that God would help you to be so overwhelmed by this vision. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that could not be numbered. People from every tongue and tribe and people and nation standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they had white robes and palm branches in their hands, and they shouted out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne. And they said, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these robed in white? And where have they come from? He said, Oh, these are they who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are forever in his temple, and they worship him day and night. 
And the one who is seated on the throne covers them or protects them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Whenever I get to the end of that, I'm overwhelmed. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I'm old enough now to have had many tears. And I'm sure some of you today are mourning loss, illness, struggles, and pain. But in heaven, there are no more tears. Isn't that a beautiful vision? I'm not going to talk about football today, except I'm going to use a football example. May know, and because it's already been told you, there was a football game last night. I know at least two of you were there in person. But for the sake of the gospel, I want to illustrate our sermon. Obviously, I rewrote this this morning, but I felt like, you know, I need to refer to this because you're going to be thinking about it anyway. I want to illustrate what this sermon is about from the last three seconds of the game. We have two sons, and both have strong legs, and they were both kickers in a high school football team. Later on, because they had strong legs, they did track. One runs a track club here in Jacksonville, Jacksonville Athletic Club. I'd like to suggest that the Jaguars kicker, Riley Patterson, has been working toward last night for at least 10 years. It didn't just happen. You see, I think he had a vision of being a great kicker. He wanted to get a college scholarship done. He wanted to make it on a pro team, done. He wants to go in the playoffs. But it didn't just happen. Oh, no. A great athlete like that has to work and stay focused. He has to stay focused on that vision, and that's the way it happens. I know this because I have a son, two sons, I said, who are kickers, and how did they become great kickers? They, they were pretty good. We would go up to the track at night in the football field, I would run around and kick the soccer ball because I'm a soccer player. And I had one son who would put a trash can up about the 20th or 30th step up there. And then he'd come back, he'd block off his steps, three steps back, two steps, and he'd take a kick and he'd look and he'd try to lift it up high enough because it has to get over the defender's hands, up and down as accurately as he could. Hundreds and thousands of times because... He had a vision of being a great kicker. Now, what that meant was he didn't go out with his friends partying. He would go up to the track at night when nobody was there and stay focused. How boring is that? It's really boring. There's nobody there. They have two floodlights up there, and he would roll that trash can over, put it up. You see, if you have a vision of a future and where you're going, you spend your whole life and you cut away everything else for that vision. We have a vision for what we're going to do for eternity and who's going to be there and what it's going to be like. I would suggest to you 
that this vision should be before you every single day of your lives. I mean that. Now on to our passage. John, on the Lord's day, we might say when he was in church, it was on the Lord's day that he had this vision. So he's worshiping. In the midst of worship, he has this vision. Isn't that cool? He had a vision, and the vision was so overwhelming. John's vision is a gift to us in our church. And now here's my little vision, my little hope for today, okay? I've got a little hope or a vision for today. I'll share it with you. My vision and hope is that you will never, ever forget the title of my sermon. (laughs) Here it is. I hope you never forget it. When you're dying in bed, you say, oh, I remember that sermon. Here it is. Many languages. One lamb. No tears. Isn't that great? Many languages. One lamb. No tears. Let's say it together. Many languages. One lamb. No tears. That's what heaven's going to be like. That's where we're going. We're going to a place like that. The vision of heaven has for us three clear points that point to eternity. Did you know that you have a theological statement for this church? I found that out. Whenever I go to a church, and I've been to hundreds, maybe thousands of them, because I'm old, and I'm in seminaries, and so I go around and I preach a lot. And so I always try to find out what's going on there, so I don't you know, say something stupid, which I might still do, but I try not to. And so I looked at your theological statement. It's fairly long. Did you know that? How many have memorized it? Just kidding. But you have an eschatology at the end. Eschatology means where we're going. It means the the end of all things. The eschaton at the end. And so, in a sense, this sermon is going to help to fill out your eschatology statement. That's what I'd like to think about it that way. So let's think about these three points, then I'm going to unpack them. Heaven will be full of languages, full of cultures, full of people of different races. It's going to be filled with people from all over the world. It's not going to be just like this church. It's going to be like this church and a couple black churches downtown and a couple Hispanic churches. Then, of course, there's an Egyptian church. There's a Brazilian church. I've done a little research on on the, the Jacksonville area. And they're all going to be together. And we're all going to get along. And even though we speak all these different languages, we're going to understand. Because all of the richness of the cultures of the world are going to be united in Jesus Christ. And it's going to be beautiful. Anybody here like Chinese food? How about Thai food? Mexican food? It's all going to be there. Okay? All of the neat food and people and languages and music. It's all going to be there. It's going to be so much richer. Your music was great here today. It really was. I was telling Nancy, this is beautiful music, great words, and you can sing it. (laughs) I've been to churches where they do phenomenal performance, and you can't sing it. But this was great today. Oh, but there's so much more. I have sung in Egypt and Lebanon and South Africa and Malaysia. I've just, God has been so nice to us to give us those opportunities. And there's all this beautiful music. Okay, I need to move on with the sermon here. 
Heaven's be full of languages and cultures. Heaven will be focused on Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb, the kind and gentle shepherd of our souls. Jesus will, his glory will dominate eternity. There's a great sermon that was written by Jonathan Edwards. He's dead, by the way, 1700s is when he lived. But Jonathan Edwards gave a great sermon entitled, Heaven is a World of Love. Because if you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. He is love incarnate. And heaven is a world full of love because it's full of the glory of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, in heaven, all suffering will be gone. There'll be no more loss, no more injustice, no more slander, no more oppression, no more hunger, disease. Disease has taught, touched many of us the last few years. All of that will be gone. So let's take a look at this more carefully. Many languages. How in the world does this come about? Is this what heaven is like? If so, we need to be working towards this right now. How does it happen that all the nations and languages are included in heaven? Only one way. If you cross cultural boundaries. It doesn't happen automatically. Automatically, we tend to be towards our own people. You have to intentionally work at crossing cultural boundaries, linguistic boundaries, racial boundaries, ethnic boundaries. You have to do that intentionally. Nancy and I sold all of our furniture and our winter clothes and sweaters, and we went to live on the equator in Singapore. Intentionally, we went 12 time zones away to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in Southeast Asia. And it wouldn't have happened, of all the great growth of Chinese and Koreans and Malaysians and so forth, if people hadn't intentionally died to self in order to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to other people. That's the only way it's going to happen. And so we, in this life, looking towards heaven, must find ways to intentionally meet people that are different. That's the only way it happens. When we go to a new city or a state... We should ask about demographics, immigration, racial mix, build bridges of love. Do not avoid people who are different, but seek people who are different. <laughs> I just thought about this this morning. In the past week, I had my hair cut, you like it, by an Iraqi from Nineveh. True, in Jacksonville Beach. I said, where are you from? And I said, are you from Iran? He said, no, I'm from Iraq. Oh, I said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Because, you know, they've not always been friends. And then we just hired somebody from Brazil to redo our shower. I mean, really from Brazil. He barely speaks English. And then we ran into a guy yesterday from Albania. I mean, this is in one week in Jacksonville. They are here. We, God's people, in order to live into this vision, must find ways of meeting these people. And it might mean moving to another place in the city. It might mean moving across the world. But it certainly means intentionally making this a part of our lives to seek those who are different. Because heaven's going to be like that. We know that. The last words of Jesus were what? 
All authority in heaven and earth was given to me. Go, therefore, or therefore go, or as you go, make disciples of people just like you. No. Make disciples of all nations, panta ethne, every ethnic group. That's the last thing he said to us. It must be our first priority. The one who's on the throne is our model for this. Reaching out to people that are different. The leper, the bleeding woman, the blind man. We are all united through the humility that it takes to reach people that are different. It takes humility to do that. Secondly, one lamb. While living in Singapore, I once met a woman from India. I think it was at a, an event for our children. It may have been a swim meet. And I said, oh, and this is okay to ask somebody from India, what religion are you? Because they could be Muslim or Hindu or Christian or Sikh. She says, oh, I'm Hindu. And then she found out that I taught at a seminary. She says, oh, but we honor Jesus. I have a picture of Jesus in my house. I said, oh, you do? Are you a Christian? Oh, no, I'm a Hindu. So you've got Jesus and you've got all these different idols and gods and avatars. Not in heaven. <laughs> One lamb. Everything and all of the cosmos and all of creation, all the cultures are united in Jesus Christ. There's a particularity to health, thriving, wholeness, and peace. The particularity is in Jesus, and in Jesus alone will marriages hold together, will a church hold together, will a city hold together, will cultures hold together, and will we kill racism and ethnocentrism and the nationalism that divides us only in Jesus. And that Hindu woman was right according to her beliefs. Oh, I can add Jesus and I can add Zoroaster and I can add Vishnu. No, only Jesus. And that's in heaven. This is the jewel in the crown. We have many languages and no tears, but right in the middle, bringing healing for all the tears and bringing all the people together is Jesus Christ on the throne. It's the centerpiece of the vision. It's the heart of the matter. The lamb refers to the sacrifice of others. It doesn't say Jesus. Quite often in Revelation, Jesus is identified as the lamb. And that goes back, that harks back to the Old Testament, the sacrificial lamb. The main problem of humanity is sin. Jesus came to solve that problem of sin. And so it has been solved. And that's why in Revelation, it keeps coming back, the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, the pure sacrifice. But at the end of chapter 17, we read, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be the shepherd. So we have all these different images of Jesus because no one image will satisfy. So yes, he's much more than that. He's the lamb, he's the shepherd, he's the redeemer, he's the friend, he's even the creator. Everything holds together. Everything is healed in Jesus Christ. This focus on a complex theological vision reminds us of our Christocentric faith centered on Jesus Christ, firmly grounded in the authority of Scripture and in the profound understanding of who Jesus is. You can spend a lifetime meditating on Jesus. In the early church, they would often pray the Jesus prayer. Have you ever heard of this before? 
It's probably the most prayed prayer in the world, prayed more even than the Lord's Prayer because it's shorter. And it's prayed by all Orthodox, many Roman Catholics, and even by a seminary president. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, we have nothing to offer. It's a constant reminder that I need your mercy. And if we stay humble before him, recognizing we need help, then we will have power and healing and wholeness to be of good of value to other people. But in the early church, they would often pray the, the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then sometimes they say, or just pray Jesus. <laughs> in other words, if you just don't know what to pray, just say Jesus' name, Jesus, Jesus. And I've been in many churches, often black churches, where they just say Jesus, Jesus, over and over again. And that's not a bad idea. You could do a lot worse than just mumbling Jesus' name and imploring for him to come, to enter, to fill your life. Jesus, Jesus. We will have eternity to plumb the depths and the meaning of Jesus' life and sacrifice. But in this life, let's start. For us, this guides us into the authority of Scripture. Uh, one of the, uh, I'm a historian, by the way, and a missiologist. It means I study mission and I study the history of the church as it goes out in the world. In the early church, they had all these icons or pictures of Jesus. And the, and the reason they had them is, is like 95% of the people were illiterate. And so you have pictures of Jesus, and many of them, Jesus will stand like this, and that means the Trinity, the three, okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's all one. And then the two fingers represent the two natures of Jesus Christ. He is fully human and fully divine. It's in your theological statement, by the way, okay? So they would just, he would be standing like this, and think, oh, that's really kind of weird. No, it's not. That's, if you read the Bible, that's Jesus. And so these icons were for people who are literate. And one of my favorites is Jesus. I, sorry, I should have brought my Bible up here. Jesus is holding the Bible open like this. <laughs> Isn't that cool? He's pointing to the Bible. And you think, well, that's crazy because, like, Jesus didn't have the Bible. You know, he was, it was written after he died, so how can he hold the Bible? Oh, no. This is saying... It's talking about me. <laughs> the whole thing is about me. Isn't that great? All of Scripture they knew in the early church was about Jesus Christ. Many languages, one lamb, one creator, one redeemer. All of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. We are Christocentric and therefore healthy. In all of our decisions, we are to honor Jesus' heart and Jesus' mind. That's a good way to pray for your children. Pray that they would have the heart of Jesus. Have the heart of Jesus for the poor, for the rejected, for the lonely, for the bereaved. The heart of Jesus. Many languages, one lamb, and no tears. Here is the deep finale to the vision. It is really remarkable. We have a guiding vision for cross-cultural mission, many languages, crossing barriers. We've got to reach people that are different from us. We have a correcting vision for theology to make sure that everything is in alignment with Jesus Christ. 
And now we have a beautiful vision of compassion, of justice, of mercy, of kindness, of attentiveness. Are you aware of people around you that are hurting, who are lonely? Are you attentive to that? I didn't used to be. I've had to learn this. It's an intentional thing that you have to force yourself to pay attention, to ask questions of other people and not just be thinking about yourself. But I now have a, a little blog. I, didn't, I don't, didn't want to do a blog, but I thought if I was a seminary president, I should do a blog. So I do a blog. And the blog is entitled Attentiveness as a reminder to me to pay attention. To pay attention to this church you're going to preach at, Scott. Who are these people? Where are they? Pay attention to what's going on in the culture, to pay attention to the people in the city, to different languages. Pay attention. Pay attention to people who are lonely. Pay attention to people who are, have tears in their eyes and they never speak up in class. Pay attention. In this world, we have tears. We've been hurt, and so we have tears. Today, here, some of you don't know what's going to happen to somebody. You didn't get into school that you wanted to get into. You've been rejected. You lost your job. Be comforted. God knows. God cares more than you can imagine. And we are going to a place where there will be no more tears. We often go off and are hurt, and we often hurt other people too, friends. We create more tears. And then we feel badly that we did it. We don't know how to get out of it. We're often unjustly treated, and we have tears. Many people are refugees. They're homeless. They live in war-torn areas. It's, it's frightening to even watch the news sometimes. And we have tears. But in heaven... No more tears. I want to suggest that in this passage, we have found a robust, relevant, radical, reassuring, reliable vision of recovered evangelicalism. I'm an evangelical. I was raised in a fairly liberal church, and when I was 16 years old, somebody told me that I had the opportunity to change my life. He said, what do you, what do you mean? And he said, well... You know, when Jesus came to earth, he gave everybody a question. I said, he did? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I said, what's the question? Are you going to follow me or not? Are you going to follow me or not? I said, wow, that makes sense. I think I want to follow him. It wasn't very emotional for me. It completely changed my life. I was in bed at night in a bunk bed, and I remember looking up at the bed and thinking, that's what I want, Jesus. I want to follow you. So forgive my sins, and I want to follow you. And then I turned over, and I had my Bible on my bedstand. I'll never forget this. Open the Bible, and I don't suggest this, but I just kind of opened it up, and Luke 9.62. Can you believe this? The one verse that I first memorized. No man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. My gosh, I just put my hand to the plow. Never looked back. He was right. 
Jesus gives every single human being a question. Here's my life. Here's what I've done. Do you believe it? Are you going to follow me or not? And we want to give everybody that option, that choice. That is very much of what it means to be an evangelical, to realize, to recognize the evangel, the gospel. And so I think this passage will really bring about a recovered, revitalized evangelicalism. Historians know that in past, evangelicals have sought to feed the poor and to care for the sick. All of the great social movements of reform in the 19th century were pretty much started by evangelicals, even the SPCA. And the homeless shelters for people in cities were started by evangelicals in the 19th century. I think we need a corrective today. Many in America think of evangelicals today, unfortunately, as mean-spirited and divisive. If you've read newspapers and read around, evangelicals have a bad name today. But this vision, I think, can correct what other people think. This heavenly vision is beautiful, and it's very winsome. Can you imagine being like this, being with people who are always reaching out to refugees, always reaching out to people who moved here, always reaching out to the poor, who never look away from the homeless, but try to find ways of caring for them. For Community Bible Church, this means in all of our relationships, we're attentive to welcoming rather than fearing others, speaking often of Jesus and little of us, of embracing the hurting rather than looking away. Let me dream a little bit here, if I may. I gave you John's vision. Let me give you my dreams. That's a dream for this church. Let's imagine there's a family sitting at home one night, and the 15-year-old picks up some magazine and reads this thing about refugees, and the town is clogged with all these refugees, and they need people to sponsor them to take care of them. And the 15-year-old says to mom and dad, what's a refugee? You begin to talk about it, and you Google it, you know, give the right answer, because Google has all the right answers. Let's look at Wikipedia. And you find an answer, and you say, oh, oh, well, it says here in this magazine that you have, dad, from World Impact, that they need people to sponsor refugees. Why? Well, I heard this sermon that said many languages... And that's the kind of thing we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be attentive to that. And lo and behold, two or three weeks later, they get on the phone and call, and they've signed themselves up to sponsor a Ukrainian widow and two kids. Then a month and a half from now, there's Ukrainian women and two kids come into church. That's what happens if you take this seriously. It happened to Nancy and myself. The reason we went to Asia... We sponsored a Vietnamese refugee woman, a widow and four kids, Hung, Hong, Nyak, Nyan, and Lin. You never forget it. Changed our lives. It can happen here. Here's another one. One of your church's college students went to a missionary conference called Urbana. Came back all excited about, you know, the People have never heard the gospel in the world and realize that so many of them speak Arabic. So this young person who's 20 years old in your church drops a course in French and starts taking Arabic. And you say, well, I'm not sure that's really very practical because, you know, if you learn French or Spanish, if you're involved in international business, you know, no, I want to take the gospel to people who speak Arabic. 
And then he takes another semester of Arabic, and then he takes intensive Arabic in the summer. Then he goes to Egypt and studies Arabic, and you're getting very concerned. That's what can happen. And then he takes a business course. Then he moves to Cairo. And he sets up a business to help local women who've been battered to set up their own businesses. And he gets people from the church to support it. That's what happens with this vision, you see? How about number three? Or after this sermon, a recently retired professor, I don't see many here, you all look pretty young to me, <clears throat> gets on the internet and researches ethnic groups. The pastor talked about all these immigrants and ethnic groups in Jacksonville. I don't think there are that many people. Let me check. He checks. What does he find out? Oh, Jacksonville is the home to an estimated 149,986 people who were born in foreign countries, accounting for 10% of the total population. Wow. From 2010 to 2021, immigration accounted for net population growth of 39,834 people, driving overall population growth up by 3%. And then all of a sudden he thinks, maybe we can do something. Maybe we can set up some ESL classes for free as a church. And we can, and believe me, friends, once you meet two or three Egyptians or two or three Brazilians, they're all connected. And then you have lots of friends. So that's something else that could happen. Or finally, after the sermon, a couple sits down after the children or the babies in bed. I see a few children here. I've seen a few babies. And you sit down, and daggone it, that pastor from that seminary bugged me about many nations. And he talked about the church and ourselves and our families being guided by many languages, one lamb and no tears. What should we do? And then the wife says, you know, maybe, maybe we should think about raising our kids to be possessed by that vision. So that's the way they think about their whole lives. Could we do that? Could we have our kids... So much love to reach out to people who are different, who are so much in love with Jesus and care so much about people that are hurting. How can we do that? And then after talking about it for a while, they think, oh my gosh, I don't know how we can do this. So they pray. They get down on their knees by their kid's bed and they say, Jesus, we want our children to be prepared for eternity with you. Help us raise them to be like Jesus, to love Jesus, to love all your people, and to have tender hearts and weep with those who weep. Help us. Help us, Jesus. I don't know how to do that. We need your help. I believe that only, only those who are so heavenly minded will be any earthly good. If you're not heavenly minded like that, of what good are you? You're just thinking about the earthly stuff, which is usually centered on us. If you're so heavenly minded, you take risks of joy, risks of compassion to meet the needs of those in the world. Since then, Paul said, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, Christ, who is your life, when He appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. What a great passage. You should memorize that. Colossians 3, 1-4. Listen carefully. When Jesus is central, all the nations are present and there are no tears. All is joy. Again. Where Jesus is central, all the nations are present and there are no tears and all is joy. This is our vision. This is our future. This should guide how we live, how we raise our children, how we budget our church's money, how you plan for your church activities, and this should guide your own personal goals for the coming year, yea, verily, I say unto you, for your whole life. Many languages, one lamb, no tears. Will you please remember the title of this sermon? God bless you all.